and welcome to our Undoing Radio, ladies and germs, undoers. All right, I'm not going to call you undoers. I was just trying something. It's me, Jeremy Vaney, and uh, I have uh, been watching this Netflix uh, limited series. It's a documentary. It's called uh, John of God. At least I think that's what it's called. It's definitely about John of God. John of God is this uh, channeler psychic surgeon out of Brazil who naturally ended up being uh, a bit rapey. Raped hundreds of women, went to jail, and this is his story. And I was interested in this because Carol and I had met some people who met at uh, a John of God event. And um, although, to my knowledge, neither of them were molested by him, um, they were aware of the charges. I don't think they were aware at the time of the charges, but they're aware now. Um, and when we talked about them, um, I think I might have brought it up. Uh, this is before the Netflix series, because I, I was aware of this this character. Uh, they sort of said, yeah, well, he was, but he's the real deal. It's that kind of thing. Like, sure, he sexually may have sexually abused people, but he's still the real deal. And part of what made them believe he was the real deal, I think, was that he's such an abrasive person. He wasn't, didn't seem to be real lovey-dovey kind of uh, type. And so who would do that if they're lying <laughs> kind of thing? Um, and, you know, we've talked on this show about how you could be a psychological two and a spiritual ten. Um, but you would think that, like, if that were the case here, if you weren't just a flat-out fraud that the entity or entities whom he is channeling uh, to do the love and light work of, I don't know, God might, uh, A, pick a better person to come through, or B, uh, have a, a stern talking to with the man early on about his proclivities and his behavior. One would think. I mean, somebody in this, um, this smorgasbord, this stew of psychic healing on behalf of God would maybe, you know, want to actually do God's work, you would think. Um, but nevertheless, uh, of course, these people went on to be lost to the QAnon cult. And as my wife astutely observes, uh, I guess they just really wanted to be involved in a Christian type cult, you know? And, uh, but I, you know, funny enough now that they, scream about saving the children they sure don't care about any of the women it seems that john of god abused um they're just reading the scripts that they are given speaking of reading scripts that were given i was given a um, a script of sorts i was given a well-bound photocopy version of uh hawaiian kahuna as he has billed, Hale Makua's Education Through Service, New Models of Teaching and Learning. Um, I'm holding it in my hand right now. Um, I was given this by friends who, when we first met years ago, uh, one of them is a, a claims to be, I should say, a channeler. Not unlike John of God, although I don't think... Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this much. Not nearly as rapey. Um, in any event, um, this, this friend 
upon first meeting me, was certain that I was one of the the chosen few whom the now deceased and then deceased as well, Holly Makua, who this person also channels, is one of the, the many saints and sages being channeled on this island. Uh, Holly Makua, I guess, uh, gave the vibe that I am to be given this. And years went by of the promise of being given this, this I don't know what it would be, hidden teaching or at least unpublished, unknown teaching. Bunch of material. And I actually thought that um, that this was going to be channeled material. I didn't realize this was actually from Holly Makua, which it clearly is. But finally, here we are years later, and I have it in my hot little hands. And why? Well, I think because of trickster synchronicities. Oh, yes. You see, we've talked about the trickster here on this show, right? <laughs> Not too long ago. And uh, doing the Living Mystery Symposium causes trickster-like phenomena. It's like a great symphony. It's like a swelling chorus or something that just sort of happens almost mechanically, almost as if it's scripted. Um, I do something public having to do with spirituality and or the paranormal for the first time um, or in a big way. And as I'm preparing uh, some something of the subtle realm of existence, throws as many roadblocks and in-jokes as possible at me. This is just what happens. And it used to bother me. Um, I mean, it's still irritating, but I get that whatever it is, it, it just is, as George Hansen might say, you know, it just is. It just is what happens. Um, and so this portion of what just happens is that Carol and I haven't seen these people since forever, like before COVID. And uh, all of a sudden, we couldn't stop bumping into them in public. They're back on the island. Here they are. And they're, you know, everywhere we go, there they are. And, you know, wanting to get together and now wanting to give me this material, which at first was supposed to be given for free. And then the giver decided, "Mm, I should charge money. And then the handful of people who were deity selected for this material uh, didn't want to pay. So they went back to, well, I guess I should just go with giving it to you for free. And so we said, fine, we'll bite the bullet. We'll get together. Um, We'll get this material. Now, the reason that this is sort of synchronistic with the Living Mystery Symposium is that this couple, really the channeler, but the couple... I guess that they're a couple, so it happens. What happens to one happens to both. Had a falling out with someone deeply involved with the Living Mystery Symposium, not Carol or myself, obviously. Um, and so, and didn't know that these people were involved with the Living Mystery Symposium. Didn't know that we were doing the Living Mystery Symposium. Didn't even know why they had a falling out. <laughs> And so now they want to come over. Now they want to ask us what we're up to. Now we've got to like skirt around this. We certainly don't want to mention that we're working with the person they had a falling out with, but we also really don't want to like have them offer to be a part of the symposium as often happens. Oh, you're doing that? Well, I I can do this. I can help you. I can speak. No, thanks. Um, So they came, we chatted, and 
of course it came up the the sore spot subject of the person who they had a falling out with and um their falling out had a number of issues attached to it um that are very hard for me to keep my mouth shut on i have very strong feelings about and uh so i could only take so much before i had to blurt out some things about well racism and oppression and uh colonialization and christianity and the christian role in that the missionary work and the people i'm speaking to are uh, old white people and old white people tend to not get it when it comes to uh, racism, for instance, like they don't get Black Lives Matter. What are all these? What are all these black people complaining about? I'm not doing it to you, you know that sort of thing. Um, but even in that realm of knowing that about old white people and their tendencies, um, what came out of the husband was hilarious. I wasn't quite sure what he was saying at first, but essentially he was trying to relate to prejudice by saying that when they were searching for a home, they looked in a Filipino neighborhood and they got the stink eye from Filipinos. So they decided not to move there. And that was a form of racism to him. So it happens to white people too. And another one was uh, driving his fancy convertible sports car through a rich white neighborhood that apparently was richer and whiter than he was and was actually looking down upon him for his super expensive, but I guess not expensive enough, ride. And so, you see, he assured me, he understands being persecuted. And he was saying this, and I was expecting it to be a joke, like, or, or like at first it was one of those things that so, so, such a disconnect that I couldn't, uh, I didn't really... I thought maybe he was talking about something else. And then I thought, oh, no, I think I see what he's saying. What's the punchline going to be? No, no, he meant it. Those were those were his examples of not just how to relate to racism, but that it happens to everyone. So what's the problem? Why does anyone deserve some sort of preferential treatment when it happens to white people, too? Driving their rich people cars through richer people's neighborhoods. <laughs> or getting the stink eye when I'm sure who, that Filipino neighborhood, you know, anyone in that neighborhood seeing these folks come in know what the deal is. <laughs> like, I'd be giving them stink eye, too, if they, were, if they were driving through my neighborhood looking to live there, you know. Uh, <laughs> so there was that. And then he goes on to talk about just how sick he is of uh, white people being persecuted. And in fact, I, I don't remember how we got into the topic, but, you know, I was talking about the difference between heart cultures, uh, nature culture, and um, westernized, quote-unquote, modern or postmodern society. And his, his answer to all that is to say that Native people, wherever they live in the world— whether it's the Eskimos and the Igloos or in Africa or even here in Hawaii, wherever it is, they build um, the same types of housing structures, huts, igloos, whatever it is. They build a sort of conformist, monotonous housing system of 
the same intelligence. There's no, there's no wanting to explore. There's no wanting to move beyond themselves to better themselves as it were. And he actually said this, where is their Elon Musk? There is no Elon Musk in any of those cultures. Thank God for Elon Musk and the Elon Musks of the world bringing us to the stars and beyond. Bringing us, you know, solar vehicles and the such. All native people all around the world can be (laughs) summed up best by realizing that uh, they are incapable of doing better because their housing is patently the same for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. And they don't want to explore like Elon Musk. So clearly our conversation was going well. And um, if I were Holly Makua, if I were a, a great Hawaiian kahuna, I too would probably go to this couple to be channeled. Because who better to understand my culture, my heritage, and the not just authenticity, but the subtleties of my spiritual guidance than these old people who don't get crap. Hmm? These racists who don't know they're racist. Nevertheless, one of these two fine upstanding citizens claimed to be working with Holly Makua's sister on getting this material out. Um, and so gave me this packet of stuff with a story And I am familiar with this tactic by um, other New Age narcissist friends who want to involve you in their self-involved life to put themselves on pedestal. So they come equipped with like packages of stuff and stories. And you've got to ooh and ah them because there's no adding to the conversation because it's not about a conversation. It's about a monologue and... There's no denying anything because that is instant anger. Although we were already in a pretty unhappy spot by the end of this portion of the conversation. So I looked at this packet and after years of hearing about it and its spiritual significance and unpublished and I don't know why Hank Wesselman who wrote The Bull of Light about and really with in some sense Makua. um, Why didn't he publish this? Blah, blah, blah. In reading it, I can see why he never published it, if indeed he was asked to or had it to to do that. Um, Hank, of course, has now passed away. But um, no one's channeling him, huh? (laughs) It's just Makua. That seems unfair. But this, uh, this, this, this packet of words here, Some of it is uh, interesting, some of it is dated, and all of it is like a political proposal, really, or an educational system proposal. I mean, it's not something you would publish like a uh, book of spiritual truths or even Hawaiian culture or anything like this. This is something that you would give to Congress. (laughs) This is a plan, man. This is dry reading. And uh, some of the language is very New Age, and I don't even want to get into what was Makua's authenticity and what wasn't, because that can be very confusing, even for me, because I I imagine um, 
having talked it over with Carol again, that he likely hung out with new age people and thought that that was who he was writing for. And so use, uses some of that language, some of that old, like, you know, fifth density type language to say things, to speak to people who speak that language, but he's doing this proposal for the world. So I think there's a disconnect between, well, two disconnects, one between what his actual knowledge base is, um, what he is using as, as a, you know, a sort of the flavor of language he's using to translate that and then not understanding that that isn't going to play to a large, a larger audience to the world. Uh, so I think there's, you know, there's that going on, but either way, um, hugely disappointing <laughs> I guess, to finally get this thing and be like, Oh, fizzle. Uh, but the other thing that Carol and I saw first out of this package was, um, what they told us was a photograph of Holly Makua, famous photograph upon which the paintings that you may have seen of Holly Makua holding his hands together and there's light in his hands. Um, an artist took a photo of him and, uh, then painted that photo. Why not just show the photo? I don't know, but I was told that this is the actual photo. And I remember seeing the painting, um, cause they have, you know, copies of that at the volcano art museum. And one of my other new agey friends before I ever knew who Holly Makua was or any of that, you know, was like, you've got to see this. You've got to see this painting. This is amazing. He's actually holding light. He's making this light in his hands. And I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, I didn't look too hard at it. I just thought like, okay, well, I mean, maybe there are some people who can do that, right? Like little psychic magic tricks and stuff. And um, that stuff isn't as impressive to me as it is to other people, I guess, or some other people. But looking at this photo now, it was clear that there is sunlight coming from behind him, illuminating his hands, that it's not even, it's not even psychic powers. It's the sun, which frankly, when you think about it is no less amazing, no less miraculous, but there it is. But also in the package is a description that, that these people gave us a description of this photo from the photographer herself. And the description of the photo is uh, that he was sitting there with the sun behind him and the light coming into his hands, just as I described, just as it looks to be, is what she describes. And yet, not only from that first New Age friend did I hear about this amazing, he's making this, but also from these people who are giving us the photograph. Their story is, look how amazing this is, this uh, photographer just, uh, I can't remember if she felt as though she needed to take a photo at this particular moment from this particular angle, or if Holly Makua told her to, or something. There's something magical about the moment that actually, if they had read the pamphlet that they gave to us about it, <laughs> that they photocopied for us off of the website, the artist herself doesn't make any mention of that specialness, that magical quality. It was simply... I took this photo and then I painted it. Um, but there's something else about the, the photo 
that's odd, which is there's no background. And so I went back again to what the, the artist says, and the artist says he was uh, sort of sitting or squatting in front of some trees. Um, but that's not in the painting. In the painting, the background is just this sort of amorphous color scheme with light, a light source coming down over his shoulders into his hands. Uh, and that's it. And in fact, I'm looking again here at the, the photo, the original photo I was given. And it's not an original photo at all. It's actually a photo of this painting. It's the same background. There are no trees. So they don't know what they're looking at. They don't care what the real story is, what the facts are. They just want to share this stuff and have it be coming from them and through them as a channel. Right? There's more to that story. I mean, there is more to the narcissism of uh, finding a special tree and, you know, this is my special tree and blah, 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 blah. And it turns out all of that story is trying to co-opt again from uh, not Holly Makua this time, but from the friend involved with the living mystery symposium. It's trying to steal that person's story and make it their own. You know what white people tend to do. Um, so it was really a horrifying day because <laughs> they were here. They were here, here at the house and, uh, yes, we were socially distancing, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. The final punchline of this is when we called up our friend and told them all this, told them about the book that no one's ever read. Friend said, oh, you mean the material about the educational system and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's been floating around the island for years. Everyone knows about that. What, that wasn't punchline enough for you? Okay, fine. The real punchline is that uh, at the end of the conversation, they told us that they needed a place to stay and they wanted to stay with us. (laughs) That was a hard pass. You see, for me, the trickstery stuff that happens around doing events like this or having great life changes involving so-called spirituality or the paranormal, the trickstery events are synchronicities. When it rains, it pours type synchronicities. Usually people coming out of the woodwork from my past, much like this, to, I don't know what, tempt me with things, or uh, I, th- there does seem to be a message there. And it's not people who know, again, like these folks, uh, they don't know that I'm doing this conference. They're not coming out of the woodwork because um, they want to be a part of this. They don't, they, to this day, still don't know that it exists as far as I know. Uh, they come out of the woodwork because fate has it that we keep bumping into each other, or something pops into the minds of people that tells them, hey, Give Jer a call. Why don't you? Why don't you Facebook message that guy? You you haven't talked to him since like high school, right? 
Um, things of that nature. And it's never anyone I want back in my life, except for this one person. Uh, after the conference was over, and I had just quit the experience podcast and told everyone I was leaving ufology behind. And shortly after Jeff Ritzman, my Paratopia partner passed away. Um, I got an email from someone I knew in New York who I was good friends with actually. And, uh, he's an artistic type who I think is a genius. And I, I always thought he was going to be, you know, an, an amazing character in his field. Um, he was a total liberal, completely charitable, uh, super popular kind of, you know, the kind of magnetic personality that draws people to him. And yet he always wanted to hang out with the oddballs. I mean, hell, he hung out with me, right? And like, why would you, <laughs> you, you know, he's the guy that you picture with the, like the supermodel on the arm. And uh, he hung out with the likes of like me and some uh, freakishly dorky people. So this is, and that to me is an act of generosity, frankly. <laughs> and so, uh, but we lost touch, you know, we'd done some cool stuff together. We lost touch over the years because hell, I moved here. He moved overseas for a while and now just out of the blue, not related to the living mystery symposium, not related to Jeff passing away, just out of the blue contacted me. Hey, I've been thinking about you and we got to talk kind of thing. And I was like, great. Finally, someone I really want to talk to. So he left his number. I gave him a call. And this was not the person I said goodbye to in New York at all. This was a completely bizarro, I mean, just desperate, maybe, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, drug addicted. Uh and maybe that was, you know, like the main cause of the personality change. But whatever it was, this was this wasn't this wasn't my friend. And this person was, from the word go, babbling at me a mile a minute, in true narcissistic uh, used car dealer form. Reminded me of a former roommate, actually who was a punk rocker and a drug addict and talked a mile a minute. And he was, you know, that same sort of energy of trying to get what he wants, trying to be manipulative. And so this guy's angle wasn't, Hey, let's be friends or Hey, how you doing? We haven't talked in about a decade. It was, Hey, I remember about you that you seem to be into UFOs. And I have this idea for a YouTube show about UFOs where we go on and we, take other people's UFO videos on YouTube and we discuss them because that would be free for us to do and we could make lots of money doing it. Now, I don't know anything about UFOs, but you do. So that could be a great dynamic. And then and he, as he's launching into his sales pitch, he's speaking to me about stuff that I, you know, anyone, if you at least know that I know about UFOs and that I'm an adult and so presumably I've, if you think I've, I'm into UFOs, then you at least know I've been into them uh, for like a decade. <laughs> but longer than that, right? Like before you met me. Whatever it is you remember about me and UFOs, you got to at least consider that I know something about them to not, in your sales pitch to me, launch into obvious things. Uh, 
right? Like just, I don't know what, just obvious things, just obvious like UFO cases and like, have you ever, it'd be like, Hey, have you ever heard of Phoenix lights? Well, yeah, everyone's heard of the, you know, yeah, yeah. I think we get it. Um, ever heard of area 51? Maybe we could do a thing on area 51. Have you heard of that? You know, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, I think, I think everyone alive may have heard of area 51 by this point. But nevertheless, it was a terrible sales pitch. And and I was trying to bow out gracefully and say, you know what? No, because um, I can't just do things for money. Like that was the whole thing is like how much money we can make doing this. And like, I don't, uh, you know, I can't sell out, sell myself out into the phenomenon, to the UFO community or whatever at this point in my life. That ain't going to happen. That's not in the cards. Like, if you really knew what I was about in this, you would know that much, but you don't. Um, but, uh, you know, I tried to say all that nicely, but he was still going with it, going with it. And then I tried to change the subject because it was like, hey, man, I haven't talked to you in like a decade. Can we talk about normal human things and not this crazed, I'm a drug addict and I need cash right now, get rich quick scheming going on here? So I asked him about his life and that was a mistake. Turns out, um, according to him, he had gotten, he was, he, well, he warned me. He said, I don't know which pill it is, the blue pill, the red pill. Uh, maybe when the Matrix 4 comes out, it'll remind me which pill is which. Another 30 years of having to hear red pill, blue pill, great. Okay, but he had said, uh, I, I think red pill. I took the full red pill, man, man. I took the full red pill. You know, I've lost a lot of friends and all my family, and uh, so you may not like me by the end of this conversation. And I'm like, no. No, don't say that. I'm sure I can win you back over to the light. Whatever it is, just tell me what you took a pill for. And it was the QAnon thing. And it was the pandemic thing. And it was, you know, Joe Biden is the devil thing. And it was screw feminists, men in general, white men in particular, um, are, are getting screwed over here in society. We're losing our voice and we're not being heard and blah, blah, blah. Okay, how did this happen? Well, you see, I met a woman overseas, and I married her, and then she falsely accused me of beating her so that we could get divorced and she could get her green card. And there's no law helping me as the victim of this scheme. Everything is about trusting her as the victim. So he's claiming he never did this. He's claiming he was set up. Maybe all of that's true. But here's the real kicker. Um, as a result, he is a hardcore right winger because Joe Biden, you see, uh, whatever the specific law within the law is, voted for that way back when. He voted for this. Uh, trust women over everyone else sort of thing. Whatever that is. I don't know what, I don't know what that law is. But he voted for it. Therefore... He voted against me. This is what he's telling me. And his family uh, are Democrats, and they were voting for Joe Biden. And he said, how dare you vote for, for that man? How can you vote for him when he is clearly against me, is out to get me? Like, all of this stuff about how he, is, he screwed me over, so how can you like him? As if Joe Bo Biden woke up one day and was like, you know what, write a law about this guy because sometime in his future he's going to marry this woman and, and she's going to divorce him and claim he beat her so she can get a green card so 
how do I write a law about that <laughs> right now? Uh, I mean, just insane, manic QAnon and that, and uh, just bubble upon bubble of transcendentally hellish nightmare scape coming out of this guy's mouth. <laughs> and it made me really sad. It was so sad because I loved this guy. He was such a good person. And sure, a little self-absorbed, but nothing like this. <laughs> nothing broken like this. Um, and I hope he comes back. But the way we ended it was, I just said, you know, I don't remember what he was ranting about. He was ranting about something. And it was the kind of rant where I can't get a word in. Like, nothing is about me. I'm not even in this conversation. And at this point, he knows I'm not in on the the YouTube scheme, so... He's lost me as a mark, right, for his for his uh, get-rich-quick scheme. So I guess I'm useless at this point. And so I said, well, you know, whatever it was we we're babbling about here, um, I just said, well, you know, if you quit talking at me, he was trying to tell me how I feel. Because he's got this entire script now as a, as a QAnon right-winger of how everyone who's not that thinks, believes, behaves, what they watch on TV, right? It's all this like, well, you people watch CNN and the left-wing media and the lies and the blah, and therefore you believe this, this, and this. And I was like, well, actually, I don't. And I don't believe that, that, and that. And if you would stop talking at me for a minute and actually listen to my answer instead of trying to dictate what my answer is, you would know that, click, he hung up on me. And that was it. That was the last I heard from him. And, you know, good. I mean, really, how could that have ended any other way unless he was like, I'm so sorry, I see the light. But that was another one. Uh, Just clearly, like, of course that happened then. You know? Just on the heels of the Living Mystery Symposium and me leaving ufology and Jeff Ritzman passing away. Like, of course. And... It's a similar topic in a way to the uh, the Chandler couple in the sense of um, cultural appropriation. It's subculture appropriation. It's like just these schemes to to take someone else's truth and just profiteer off of it or self-aggrandize off of it. Make a name for yourself off of it. Be a somebody. I mean, does everyone want to be John of God? Is that what this is? I don't know. I just know that when this stuff happens, when these synchronicities amp up and it becomes cartoonish like this, because I'm only telling you two, right? Like these are two big ones out of a slew of just stuff being thrown at you Um, or being thrown at me. I guess nobody threw anything at you. And if they did, I'm sorry. You don't deserve to have things thrown at you. But uh, I was ducking and dodging the throwing. Oh, yes, I was. And um, when I look at what these have to say, I wonder if it's not a question back to me. Is it a question? Is it a question of even in terms of a, cul- a cultural appropriation? Because, you know, we had the, the night with Lahua Lopez and Tiocas and Ghost Horse. And am I profiting off of them? Am I really so above being the white guy in the room who culturally appropriates and self-aggrandizes off of it? I mean... What about ufology? And even in terms of Jeff's death, what about Jeff's death? You know, it's kind of a version of the are you sure moment. Are you sure you're better than this? Are you sure what you're doing is the right thing? 
Are you sure you're out of ufology? I mean, you could see it as a temptation or you could see it as a lesson, right? The temptation is, do you want to do these things? Do you want to engage with these people? Do you want to go off on these merry jaunts down rabbit holes with these folks? The lesson is, if you don't see it that way, the lesson is what, what I just said, I, or at least that's the lesson I see, which is the self-reflection. Are you not them? Are you not also them? But I think the answer here is no, I'm not also them. <laughs> and I, and I, I know myself well enough to know that much. Um, the Living Mystery Symposium was completely free, and uh, I didn't make a big name for myself, and that was never the plan, you know? Like, so, no... Um, it was about exploration, not exploitation. And as is ufology, as is Jeff's death. Uh, putting out Paratopia on our undoing radio um, really purely is uh, for the benefit of his family and his, if you want to call it legacy, but his much needed voice in this. Not really doing a lot of advertising for it. I don't, you know, I don't want anything for it. So, no. I've already gotten whatever rub, shine, fame from it years ago. So no, <laughs> it really is with the best intentions. So what else might this trickster thing be if not even a lesson? I mean, it's got these elements there, right? But might it just be mechanical? Might it just be that this is what happens and however you see it can be beneficial to you, can be useful. You can get meaning out of it. You, It's good to self-reflect, Right. It's good to deal with your past. It's good to deal with these ghosts of the past, the, the, these bits of unfinished business. It's good to, you know, know this about my friend here so that I don't uh, accidentally engage with him thinking he's who he was before. And I don't know what benefit it has for these people to engage with me or to engage with me and Carol. I don't know. I mean, maybe it benefits them in some way, too. If they allow it. <laughs> I don't know. So you can see it all that way, but I think at the core, the question is, is it mechanical? Is it like you're starting a new song, a new symphony, and there's a chorus, and this is that chorus, or a refrain, whatever it might be. I, I'm no musician. Um, the callback is this, bumping into people, hearing from people, obstacles in your way, when it rains, it pours, all that stuff. Is that just what happens? And if you expect it like I do at this point in my life, can you just navigate it? You know, is it like navigating the seas? It's like you start something new and that opens you up, right? Takes you out of your normal patterns, out of your normal narrative. And when you're opened up, we say, well, that's when trickster comes in, right? But again, there does seem to be as chaotic as that is in practice. When you step back and look at it, there does seem to be something um, not even intelligently controlled necessarily, but mechanical about it. Like a program kicks in, and this is just what happens. Like that. I'm not saying that is what it is. Don't red pill me. All right. Anyway, I've babbled at you for a good long while. I guess I'll just leave you with this question. We've talked about trickster in a number of ways. And I wonder if we can add to that this layer, the layer of the mechanical, the layer of the just is, which is the George Hansen layer, the layer of don't ask why these things happen. Why isn't a fruitful question. Just observe how. 
Well, what if it's a prismatic uh, subject? I don't know if entity is the right word or intelligence or pattern, but just a prismatic subject. What if it's a like a diamond and you can look at different surfaces and, and all those different surfaces reflect something different and they're all valid or at least a number of them are valid. And one of those valid things is the why. Maybe there are certain aspects to where we can go, oh, I see why. Maybe there are others where there isn't a why outside of the fact that the mechanical why. The, well, you opened up. You struck out to do something new. And because you're born into a materialist culture, you're (laughs) woefully unequipped to understand subtle energies and the way they work. And what what is attracted to you, what clings to you, and when. And when you don't understand all that, it looks as though there's a hidden hand. It looks as though uh, there's some sense of destiny, some stream of destiny that you've swerved into, and now you're riding that wave or something, riding that stream. Um, But it's just uh, how things work when you open up to the new. And then other times there's a hidden hand. Other times, maybe you're in the stream. You're, you're surfing the wave. Maybe all of the above. But not always. People use that always all of the above as a crutch when they talk about everything being equally valid. To not have to do any of the deep pondering. Well, on this one, why don't we take a week off to do the deep pondering? I can't do it for you. I can barely do it for me. I leave that kind of thing to the God of the John. <laughs>